Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Jose Valim showed off a new Elixir 1.14 feature. So 1.14 is not yet released. And this is like a little preview of, of what's coming up. It's a line-by-line breakpoints demonstration in IEX. He showed it off in an ASCII animation. So we've got a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. It looks like the bulk of the work was headed up by What You Hide or Andrea Leopardi. And this feature provides line-by-line debugging. It uses a new function in the kernel module called dbg, where you give it the code you want it to debug. So say you created a new function, you want to interactively step through its execution, the debug dbg function can help you do that. This doesn't set breakpoints by line numbers or anything like that, so I don't see any direct connection to using this in a typical IDE style with breakpoints. But it's very cool to see because one of the things you can do is you can continue Because previously with a pry-like debug hook, once you caught that first stop, you don't get to continue. So this is like where you actually can continue and step-by-step go through some code. Have you guys checked this out yet? I checked out the animation and it looks really cool. I haven't actually gotten into uh, trying it out. Debugging is one of those things I got to get better at. Maybe this is the opportunity to, to go check it out. I am super pumped though about the breaking and like continuing like line navigation there i i miss that so much having come from ruby where that's pretty normal not having it in elixir put me back as a as a puts debugger which is not bad yeah <laughs> but but I, but i i like why are you puts i'm io expect over here <laughs> yeah or yeah it's you know same thing uh but this is this is gonna be a cool tool to put back in the old tool belt Yep, I'm kind of in the same boat. I've I've been kind of in the IO inspect IO puts camp for a long time, so I would be definitely interested in learning a new improved way to do it. All right, well also in the news, there's a new PR on the OTP project that looks to be a major improvement for Erlang and Elixir on Windows. I know Windows is kind of a sore spot for some developers, and hopefully from what it looks like in this PR, this is going to solve a lot of those issues, uh, those weird issues that uh, folks on Windows might be experiencing. So the title of the PR is to implement a new Erlang shell. Such a small title for how, how big of an impact that is. Like, oh, let's just rewrite a whole part of the system. It's fine. <laughs> so this PR re-implements the entire TTY driver for both the Unix and Windows systems to use a common NIF instead of two separate drivers. So I can imagine that would help unify the experience and then also prevent one experience, like maybe the Unix one, to like get too much better than the Windows one, and the Windows one might be forgotten or the other way around. So that's that's pretty cool to see that. The Unix implementation works pretty much the, the, the same as it did before, but a lot more of the terminal logic has been moved from Erlang to C. So it's a lot more native code. This work is being done by Lucas Larson, part of the OTP team. This is really cool. Really love seeing it. As we speak about it now, this PR is not yet merged, so they're still requesting feedback. So if you're on Windows... This might be a good opportunity to make sure that this fixes some of the bugs that you might be experiencing. Give them some feedback on the PR. You know, speaking of the shell, I've really loved the IEX shell. Like, you know, you guys can control R in there and search through your history just like you can in Bash. It's awesome. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. So moving on, we saw in the news, RabbitMQ got a new feature called Super Streams. We thought 
since RabbitMQ is written in Erlang, we'll just throw it in our news too. So super streams, they're a way to scale out by partitioning a large stream into smaller streams. They integrate with a single active consumer to preserve message order within a partition. So if that sounds fun to you, we'll link a blog post in the show notes, including diagrams and more details of what this means for RabbitMQ users. All right, next up, Elixir's gRPC library has found a new maintainer. Paulo Valente is, has joined the project to help bring it more attention and help PRs get merged and basically just be shepherded. The project stalled out a little while ago, so there's a kind of a pileup of issues and, and PRs. And to me, though, this library is important because this this is a gRPC support. It's one of those things that's like a checkbox for you know enterprise teams to even consider a language in its ecosystem. It's got to have gRPC support. So seeing a healthy gRPC library be maintained. That's really good news. So there's a couple of things that I got, uh, you know, I was involved in it a little bit, not not by much, but there's there's a couple of things that are, that's coming up on it. First, they're dropping support for older OTPs, trading it for support for newer OTPs. So that's that's great news. So if you've got a modern Elixir or Erlang code base, um, this is going to be helpful for you. Also, it looks like they're considering uh, opening up the uh, HTTP adapters. So right now it's kind of built for for one adapter called Gun. And well, I don't know, maybe we'll see support for Mint or uh, HTTP Poison or whatever your, your, your pick of poison will be. Good news, good uh, progress. And uh, actually, I think later in this episode, we'll be talking with this with Paulo. We'll get to hear from him a little bit more about it. Last up, some big news from the Livebook team. Livebook Desktop was launched. You can get Livebook up and running on your own machine now in less than a minute. So you can still use fly.io to launch it in the cloud. You can still get clone it. You can still use eScript to run it. So when I downloaded this, I, I almost expected a GUI, right? I opened it and then it just opened my browser. And I was like, wait a second, what's going on? And I think what this does though, is it just simplifies getting up and running. So basically you've got a web server running inside of this executable that just packages everything together and gets you up and running in Livebook, just as simple as downloading any other app or any other program onto your computer. And then, I mean, I tried it on on Mac OS and it puts the nice little Livebook logo up in my toolbar. It's really nice looking. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna leave it running because it looks so good. But it's just a really quick, easy way to, to run Livebook locally. So part of this effort includes the uh, eventual release of an app builder that leverages work of Dominic Letts and Wojtek Mock. So we'll drop links to these announcements and some tweets that are explaining more about these efforts. Really exciting news. Congratulations to that team. And that's it for the news. Fly.io supports this podcast by providing editing services. Beyond being great for supporting us, they are a great place to host your next Elixir app. Check them out at fly.io. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Paolo Valente. Paolo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on because you've done some recent work with a new library called NX Signal. And as far as I understand, just reading about it, I'm understanding this is about DSPs and DSPs like digital signal processing. And I know that that has a lot of applications around things that I'm not very good at. I don't have a lot of experience working with this stuff. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you where you can share some insight as to what this is doing for the NX libraries and the ecosystem, how we can benefit from this. 
And I also just look forward to getting to know you a little bit better too. So before we jump into talking about the work on NX Signal and everything you're doing there, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? So we can start saying that I'm from Brazil and I'm an electronics engineer. And during my university course, I tended to focus more on the telecommunication stuff. So that's where I come from the signal processing background. And right around the time that I started learning Elixir, it's basically where I started leaving the DSP domain. And just now I'm getting back to it because of NX, right? So I currently am full-time employed at Stone, which is a fintech company in Brazil. And I've been there basically my whole career since early 2018. And I am currently a tech leader there. And they actually let me use 50% of my time to invest in open source. Wow, that's awesome. So currently NX is part of my day job. Man, maybe I need to move to Brazil, <laughs> get a gig like that. Tell me a little bit more about your your, your degree. You, you were doing electrical engineering and you were doing some di- digital signal processing. Like what were some of the things that you were doing with that? I'm just curious. During my university course, I, I most worked most of the time as a research intern with automatic music transcription, which is basically taking a, an audio signal that represents music and trying to extract information from that. Ah, if I look for chords for the final countdown, for example, <laughs> there's a program out there that may have actually listened to that and got the notes out of it and transcribed that uh, for, for me. And that, that's, that's what a DSP did. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's basically that DSP is the tool that, that you use to achieve that. You take a, a series of samples, which is the audio signal in this case, and apply mathematical tools to extract the information that you desire. Let's talk a little bit about what a DSP is. Like, what does that mean? DSP, Digital Signal Processing, is actually a kind of an ambiguous uh, expression because it's both the signal and the processing that's digital, right? When we translate it to, to Portuguese, for instance, we have kind of to choose which one of those is digital. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> but, but it's both, actually. It's basically when you take the, the, the series of samples, right? It's a list of numbers and interpret that as a, a time series. And then you can do stuff like, okay, so let's take a 20-second window and look at it into it to see which comp- frequency components does it have, for instance. And there are mathematical tools that allow you to do that. Career transforms and that kind of stuff. All right. So if I'm T-Pain, a DSP has auto-tuned my voice while I'm singing. I know he gets way too much junk for that, but like T-Pain's actually a really good singer, by the way. You should look it up. If I'm a guitar player, a DSP helped me tune my guitar. A DSP maybe added some delay or some echo to my awesome guitar soloing kind of stuff, right? So like DSPs are everywhere. They're in the thing that I'm recording through right now, making my voice this luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when you say it tuned your guitar, are you saying like real time, like it's out of tune. And when you play it and it comes through my headphones, it's now in tune. <laughs> <laughs> or are you saying 
this tuning app on my phone is using a DSP. Could be both, actually. And there is also a third possibility, which is there are some guitars that actually turn the knobs for tuning the, the strings for you nowadays. And that's also the SP. It takes the, the electrical signal or the vibrations or stuff like that, turn that into something that they can calculate. Okay, so I have to tighten this string or loosen it and then move some motors to actually do that. So I can imagine now with DSPs that there is a lot, a lot, a lot of data that is flowing through that, you know, if it's recorded, right? I'm starting to see that maybe maybe that's where Elixir NX can come in. So before we, we jump into the application there, how, how did you hear about Elixir NX? How, how did it find you? How did you find it? Uh, I'm really involved with the community in Brazil, right? So I, I take part in Telegram groups and I also help organize Codebean Brazil and events like, like that. And basically when Valim announced NX, uh, some people messaged me. So, hey, Paulo, have you seen this library? And actually on the same day it went live, I sent a pull request. So that's where I started basically when it went public. The day one. <laughs> yeah, if you see, it's like it was released and there's a pull request implementing norm stuff, I think. As I said before, I, I was involved with DSP and numerical computing throughout my whole university course. And my final project, which is something that we need to do to, to graduate, was actually involving machine learning and functional programming. I explored some venues like, okay, so what if I use pure closure versus uh, closure calling TensorFlow from Java and Elixir? And how can I use Elixir with other languages to achieve machine learning? So I tried NIFs and ports and microservices, which ended up being the, the final MVP. Basically use Elixir to coordinate a Python microservice uh, to kind of process multiple video streams. And the video streams were basically an emulator I also wrote in Elixir. So that was in mid-2019. And I had always had that uh, feeling that, oh, but that could perhaps come to Elixir sometime, right? And when NX went live, I jumped straight into it and pulled all my linear algebra books from the shelf <laughs> and started implementing things that I hadn't touched in like eight years or... <laughs> yeah, that sounds um, pretty similar to what we talked about with Sam Aaron with uh, Sonic Pi, where there's a lot of these services that work in tandem and help with, uh, you know, the thing that you wanted to do. And Elixir was a good orchestrator for that. And over the years, it just gets better in these other areas now that NX is out. And so you can start, you know, reimagining what your stuff looks like, what your code looks like with NX. That's pretty cool. Exactly. And NX all, all actually works with nerves. So we can now envision things like, okay, so what if I have a Raspberry Pi running nerves with NX? How can I use that to, for instance, have a a kind of edge computing processor 
which will take microphone data, process it locally, and then send a send a compact version of the data to to the actual server uh, and things like that. That really play into the beam capabilities, right? Because we're talking about a distributed computing scenario that could actually be be done seamlessly, right? With beam clustering, for instance. I had a question just because of my ignorance in this area. We're talking about DSPs specifically around audio. Is it limited to audio or is this something because it's digital signals, like that could be a lot of different kinds of signals, right? So what all does this potentially apply to? I define that as a series of samples, right? And when we think about samples, we tend to think about numbers, but if we think about video, for instance, a sample could be a, a frame, actually, a, a two by two matrix of pixels. Or if we're talking about a grayscale image, or if we're talking about an RGB, it will be a 3D tensor. So a series of 3D tensors over time is a RGB video. And that could also be processed with processed with DSP. It's just that you need to extend the tools you you use, right? For instance, uh, if people are curious, they could look into how JPEG works. JPEG takes uncompressed image and applies the same same tools we use uh, to get which co com frequency components we have in a audio file, for instance but it applies in a two-dimensional form. And then they throw out some stuff that allows you to lose some information, but not the overall information. That's, for instance, when you have text represented in, in JPEG format, you have those jagged edges. It gets kind of blurry around lines, yeah. Yeah, you, you throw out the high-frequency stuff, which represents that, that black-to-white transition and it blurs out. But when you look from, from afar, you don't actually see the difference. I got another good example of a DSP that's not about audio. As, uh, if you've ever played Super Nintendo, you've probably played Super Mario Kart or maybe Pilot Wings. And those cartridges on the Super Nintendo have specific DSP chips that's used for uh, additional math co-processing to help with that uh, advanced, uh, back in the day, advanced mode seven scaling. So like when you're, you know, hovering over the, or you're racing on the track or something, the track is kind of turning with you a little bit. That DSP is taking that image and it's doing a bunch of extra processing on it and very, very lossy because <laughs> it's back in the Super <laughs> Nintendo days. Uh, very lossy. Uh, it's doing the rotations and scaling and all, and all that kind of stuff. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, like DSPs, like they they can do you know a lot of really interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying the cartridge had the chip on it? Yeah, yeah, it had an extra chip on the on the cartridge to help with uh, all that extra stuff that the game needed help with uh, that the that the original console didn't come with, right? So like, yeah, there's there's a bunch of Super Nintendo cartridges out there with extra chips. Uh, like Star Fox is a good example too. Star Fox had 3D rendering on it. Super Nintendo was not designed for 3D rendering, so it needs extra help to do that. 
that that one is called the Super FX chip for Star Fox, and I'm sure that it's it can be considered a DSP as well. <laughs> anyway, there's lots of stuff you can do with a DSP. Yeah, there's a whole other realm actually because. For instance, at Stone, we actually use some DSP techniques for monitoring. My team takes care of some parts of observability infrastructure and libraries, and uh, we actually use some DSP to take, for instance, how how many success, successful transactions and how many failures we have over time, and decide if we have an anomaly in a setting where we can actually use machine learning techniques. So classical DSP also comes comes handy there. I feel like I maybe understood what a DSP is, and now it's just devolved into, it's just a computer because it does everything. <laughs> so I want to come back to NX Signal, which is the library that you, you've been working on. It's currently not on HexPM. So if people want to install it, your GitHub readme shows how you can, you know, add it to your mixexs file and and you're pulling from the the GitHub source repo. But what can people do with the NX signal library and what is your aim or your goal with this? Yeah. So I started NX signal as a way to to kind of kind of feedback on what I was developing at the time in NX. To achieve DSP, we need to have complex numbers. So we needed to bring complex numbers into NX. We, we got a, a library which was already established and brought into the organization and started developing from there. It's called Complex. We brought that into NX, added the respective complex types and stuff like that. From there, I was able to implement the Fourier transform stuff, FFT and inverse FFT. And from there, I actually needed to to kind of test the waters of, of what's needed, what's actually achievable right now, um, because the philosophy over the, the NX library itself is that it should provide a minimal core upon which different libraries can be implemented. For instance, Exxon, which Sean develops, is basically just implemented using NX. It doesn't handle NIFs like NX does. It just uses NX. And NX signal should also be the same. It shouldn't need to implement different NIFs to achieve what it wants to achieve. So that's where the feedback loop started, because after I started NX signal, I found some improvements that could be made on NX. So that's what me and Jose are working this past week or so over better option handling on the fans, for instance, which is which are the numerical definitions for NX. And right now, the NX signal library itself can do basic stuff. Uh, there are some examples using a, a synthetical signal, which has three different frequency components, and then I take its time frequency representation and filter it. And just now I'm working on having it be synthesized back t- back into a, a audio signal and then using another library to process a wave file, and then can go on for there. Well, Paolo, I think it's really neat that your employer 
sees the value of what you're doing and says, yeah, you can spend 50% of your time just working on this because that's adding value to what we're doing. So I was curious if you can share a little bit more about what kind of signal processing you're, you're doing at, in your workplace, just so people can get an idea of how this might be applicable to them. The past episodes are two. Um, Chris Granger was actually on the, the podcast and he mentioned that he, you know, someone that was using Explorer in production. I'm actually that someone. <laughs> <laughs> so before I, before I talked about using DSP for monitoring our alerts, right? We have those alerts being processed in Prometheus, which is a time series infrastructure for uh, alerting, right? Since we are already publish lots of stuff there, we actually have some functionality that takes data from Prometheus and loads it into Elixir so it could be published on a, an internal API, for instance. Brazil Central Bank actually has some APIs which we needed to implement and the easiest path was to use Prometheus because it needed to aggregate API metrics over time. But the data that comes out for off from Medios isn't actually too easy to handle. They return like a JSON that, sa that says, uh, okay, so you have this field and then this list of, of values. The other field and another list of values, which resembles a data frame, but in a, a difficult way to handle. So we built a converter that loaded that into a, a, an Explorer data frame. And from there, it's just, okay, so use the access protocol, Explorer functions to provide the data that we need. You're talking to a bank, getting back the data that you need, but it's not in a convenient format. So you're like, oh, we'll use Explorer. And that can flip and rotate or, or whatever to remap that data in efficient built-in functions that are already there so that you can reformat it into something that you actually can work with. And then you're like, okay, now we can do our analysis. Did I get that right? For this specific case, we actually don't need an X. But the, the beautiful stuff is that while I'm working on an X, that enables people to work on stuff on top of that, right? And the whole community gains from it. So that's the, the point of view that me and my employer have. It's not that we need to use NX because I'm, I'm developing it. I'm developing it, and that allows us to grow the community and uh, give back to, to the platform that we already consume, right? We have a really strong Elixir team. So what are the next steps that you see with the library NX signal that you've been working on? Like any milestones you're aiming for? Well, as I said, I start NX signal as a way to, to feedback into NX. So I'm starting to feedback again into NX signal after the, these, these last iterations on NX. But I aim to provide a similar interface to SciPy signal as a starting point. So they, they provide functionality to define some technical terms here. So uh, finite impulse response filters and infinite response filters, uh, wavelets. So that's where I'm going 
with an X signal right now. Mostly because outside of an X signal, we don't have any actual place for the SP functions. It, it shouldn't live on, on the X itself, but then it just doesn't correlate to Explorer or Exxon or checks EXLA, which are just backends for NX. So I'm starting to focus those, those functions there, as well as window functions, which there are already lots of window functions I've implemented, uh, mostly because they're just, okay, so take this math formula and iterate over N. So it's easy to, to build. So that's the general direction, but if people want to jump in and suggest some fun features, uh, want to contribute with the library itself, they're more than welcome. So I could have sworn I saw you jump in on some other unrelated to NX things as well. One area I think I saw you in was a gRPC. Now there's basically one library out there that helps with the, G the gRPC story with Elixir. There's some work that could be done on it. T t tell me, are are you are, do you have any uh, work that you're doing there with the gRPC or thoughts on on that at least? It's in the interest of Stone to have gRPC be be brought back into life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the Elixir side, the library has been without commits for quite some time. Actually, I tried to reach out to the maintainer uh, recently. Another Brazilian, actually, Adriano, reached out to me and showed me a fork he built, and I'm starting to look into that. We're talking about perhaps starting a new working group or something in that sense. Because, as I said, we're, we have a really strong Elixir team, but we actually have a big Go team as well. And there are other languages that are involved in our ecosystem inside inside our system, right? And gRPC would would be really helpful in making things integrate better. Yeah. So that's one thing. But I, I actually contribute with some other libraries as well. Um, there are some one one or two pull requests on Tesla, Elixir LS as well. I have actually implemented something that, that's been released even in VS Code Elixir, which is a functionality to turn pipe calls into function calls and vice versa. Oh, like a refactoring tool. Mm. Yeah, like that, that slurp thing that, that Lisp has, right? Because we, we enforce some credo rules that okay so don't have don't have pipe calls start with raw values and don't have a single pipe chain and the refactoring that was tiresome so i i implemented the functionality to help with that mm, that's nice yeah so so just to restate that is is if you that there's a refactoring thing that you can do yeah to to actually know the variable and be smart about the variable right that's being piped into or the or the result of the previous function right to to be semantically correct and be able to move the correct things you know uh, in and out of uh, pipe calls so that's pretty cool yeah i think uh I think I, I remember seeing Mitch Hanberg also do something like that uh, in uh, the uh, NeoVim uh, project using uh, TreeSitter as well there. So that's that's pretty cool to see that in the that thought, uh, even if that didn't come from Mitch. I'm just totally correlating here. But yeah, it's, it's nice to see the uh, refactoring stuff get out there. 
you're thinking or considering maybe, you know, uh, starting a working group for gRPC. gRPC, I just got a comment on this. gRPC is one of those things that like, it is a check mark for enterprises. You got to have good gRPC support in your language ecosystem to be even on the list of considerations for like enterprise systems. Because if you can't have that easy communication pathway between microservices, typically, it's just a non-starter, right? And so, like you said, the gRPC library that's out there now for Elixir is good and it works. It's getting a little stale at this moment, though. And there's a couple of... uh, evolutions that still need to, to happen. And, and one of the big things is is the uh, the HTTP adapter that it uses. And so you, you mentioned that you've helped with Tesla, which is great. But basically, we need an adapter system for, for gRPC so we can like plug it in with other things like Mint or Tesla, for example, if we really, if we wanted to do that. General comment here, you are in the Elixir community here, like NX, <laughs> Elixir LS, you know, gRPC stuff. Yeah, is there anything else you're working on? <laughs> I think those are the main main libraries. Um, there have been some experiments over the time. Over time, for instance, uh, due to to Hacktoberfest 2020, I actually contributed some for a few months to a, another BIM language, which was implemented using Nimble Parser. <laughs> nice. It's called Fika. You can. St- See a fork or me. You can see it's pinned on my my GitHub. Yeah, some random stuff there. During the beginning of an X, I tried to start a port of an, a circuit simulator I had written as a school, university project. And that's also on, on my GitHub. Well, Paolo, this has really been interesting. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to help us understand what DSPs are and really how general they can be. Like that's, that's one of the takeaways I've gotten from this is it's quite a bit more generally applicable than I originally thought. Like the idea that you're saying, hey, we're getting all these signals in their errors or successful operations in our logs. And we can use that and some DSP operations and algorithms to determine, do we have a problem or is everything okay? Because at some point, you're always going to get some kind of error because maybe you just have bots that are just trying to look for your PHP endpoints that you don't have. And and so they're going to show up as logs in your error. And you, so you can't just say, oh, we have errors in the logs. It's like, no, you can be smarter about that. And oh, maybe a DSP can actually help with that. I think that's just really fun, really cool. I know I'm certainly interested in following your progress on the NX Signal project as you continue to build it out. And, you know, you get to that point where you're like, it's ready. It's in hex PM or whatever. You know, please let us know so we can let people know that that it's reached that milestone. But if people want to follow you or get involved with the project, where should they go to do that? Well, for NX Signal specifically, uh, people can use the issues tracker to reach out and discuss. I haven't actually looked into GitHub discussions, so perhaps that could actually be useful. People can also reach reach out to me on Twitter. It's the same handle everywhere. It's easy to, to find me on, in places. All right. Well, we have links to all that in the show notes. Well, Paolo, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for having me. I have too much fun participating on the podcast. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.